everyone, I'm Utkarsh, the founder of Network Capital, here with Rahul Sanghi, the founder of this fascinating brand called Tiger Feathers. Um, my upcoming book focuses on fashion economy and the side hustle revolution, and Rahul has done exactly that. He quit his mainstream job, whatever that means, to basically um, create something new, build his category of one. And today we're going to learn a bit more about his career and how he got started and why he essentially quit his stable job um, to do something interesting. Rahul, welcome to NC. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, Tiger Feathers. Uh, thanks, Rikash. And uh, I think maybe the, the short answer for why I quit my job to do this is because I'm an idiot, but we'll get to that, I'm sure, through the course of the, <laughs> no, I'm just messing, but uh, we'll get to that through the course of the conversation, I'm sure. Um, so like you mentioned, um, I'm currently working full-time um, on building a media brand called Tiger Feathers. And I say media brand because uh, it started off as a Substack newsletter, but I'm hoping that that just represents the first piece for much wider jigsaw puzzle. Um, and particularly, I want the Tiger Feathers brand to go beyond media and different sort of um, end destinations for it, whether that's uh, using it as a vehicle for venture capital or using it as a springboard to creating a software product. Um, or a bunch of stuff in between. But uh, essentially how I came to this point, uh, like you mentioned, my last full-time gig was with, was with Visa, um, where I spent about a year sort of heading that fintech practice in India and South Asia. Um, before that, I bounced around the startup world in India, uh, primarily with a company called Coinex, which uh, at the time was India's largest cryptocurrency exchange. Um, back in 2018 and 2019, even though we had a very good sort of first run um, because of the government's antagonistic position towards uh, cryptocurrencies, we essentially pivoted out of that business and set up a new um, enterprise software business called Flowbiz. That's since uh, doing very well today. Um, and prior to that, I started my career uh, as a consultant at KPMG in London, um, about halfway through realizing that this entire world of blockchain technology and crypto assets was worth um, going all in on. Um, and I essentially got the chance to help the firm build out its global blockchain and crypto practice uh, for a short couple of years uh, before I realized that I missed the sun and moved back to India uh, to sort of kick off my career here. So it's uh, been a bunch of uh, different interesting steps in between. Um, and uh, I'm trying to see if this Tiger Feather thing is, can be something real, uh, at least over the next few years. Yeah. Look, Tiger Feathers um, has become a newsletter which is mentioned by a lot of interesting people. I've heard Balaji Srinivasan mention it. I've heard, uh, you know, people in the government talk about it. People um, in NPCI mention it. So it's fascinating. It's not easy for somebody to start like a newsletter and reach the scale that you've managed to. How did that happen? And what's the process of uh, achieving the scale in your opinion? So um, one, I would not say that I wouldn't even say that we've uh, reached a scale um, that uh, I think this can reach and to the point where this can command leverage uh, in a bunch of different capacities. But I can say that we're on the way there. Um, the story is that back in 2020, uh, just as the sort of pandemic was kicking off and the wave of lockdowns began, uh, I left my role at Flowbiz and was sort of a little bit lost. 
uh, trying to figure out what was going to come next. Um, I've always loved writing and read. I've been a, you should have joined uh, Network Capital that time. You, you should have I, given me a call. <laughs> But uh, no, so back then I was essentially a little bit lost trying to figure out what was my next move. Um, obviously, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with the pandemic and, uh, and uh, best laid plans being laid to waste. Uh, and um, I had always been a reader, always been a writer, always loved writing, never, pub never sort of published uh, my work in public or any other social platform. But um, I've been paying attention to this substack phenomenon at the tail end of 2019 and early 2020 takeoff and you were seeing all these high profile journalists and these amazing writers all around the world leaving their established media companies or established um, uh, media entities to set up independent publications um, and creating sustainable careers around it um, so it seemed it's i guess this is sort of a testament to the the uh, how created to the right created tool can unlock an entire sort of latent part of the economy that uh, just has is just waiting to be unleashed um, and I think Substack did that for writing talent all over the world whether that was uh, existing journalists and writers uh, as well as giving uh, aspiring writers like myself uh, the platform to um, to take a chance on your abilities or your passion. So uh, the start of the pandemic, me and my partner, who's one of my um, oldest and best friends, Ariman Veer, who is the founder of Prophetic Ventures, he, um, I sort of pitched to him saying that um, it, he had been a, done a bit, of, a bit of writing publicly as well. And at the start of lockdowns, I published a couple of short, uh, short pieces on the actual pandemic just sort of my thoughts on what was happening around the world and how it was, how it was making me feel going through it. Uh, and I said that maybe it was time to put out some writing on the art tech, on our opinions on tech and business, um, because we both had a bunch of experience and a bunch of different mm -hmm. roles in the startup world, the venture world, um, and particularly crypto. Both of us had been in the space for a number of years, him even longer than I had. And we said, okay, maybe it's time to see if, um, if we can turn content into commerce and and how and what is the best way to do that uh so the way i described it is every time you create a piece of content uh that's essentially a digital asset you're creating for yourself um and by doing it in the form of a newsletter where you're also capturing email signatures and building an audience uh, a quantifiable audience um you're essentially creating an asset for yourself that will continue to hopefully um give you some kind of benefit going on so uh we said okay let's just give it a shot um, started publishing um, first our thoughts on the Indian tech ecosystem, then crypto more broadly. And of course, like you mentioned, uh, because both of us had experience volunteering with iSpirit, which is the think tank in India that builds and evangelizes a lot of our public digital infrastructure. Um, a lot of that content hadn't been sort of packaged for a global audience. And uh, the likes of Balaji and many others were sort of awakened to the fact that some amazing stuff is happening in India. Um, and it's India as a sort of tech hub is worth paying attention to. So um, it's, it's, it's been a sort of trial and error effort. Um, I would say that where we excelled in quality, we've lacked in consistency. And that's, I think, the main sort of change we need to make uh, to turn the afterburners on, onto, this, uh, onto this effort or onto this venture. So um, it's just a matter of seeing, uh, responding to your audience, seeing what sticks um, and at the end of the day, you're trying to double down on your personality and your unique knowledge 
um, and it's no sense trying to copy anyone else. So uh, I don't know, lot, lots of rambling answers there, but um, sort of planted the seeds at the start of the pandemic. And now it's, uh, it's been two years and it's crazy to see how fast the efforts of compounding um, sort of accrue to an honest effort to doing something cool online. It clearly shows. Talk to us about uh, how you started volunteering with iSpirit and how did you say write the UPI or the FinTech uh, ecosystem paper that was really long as almost a mini book. Um, <laughs> yeah, walk us through that. Um, for, for better or worse, that's basically our house style. It's, we, it's, it's a funny thing that most people will tell you that no one has the patience for long form writing online and that attention spans have dwindled and people like short form content, bite-sized content, little snippets, the TikTok-ization <laughs> of content online. But uh, I guess uh, we both have a problem where uh, we want to tell the readers the whole story. Like, at least for me, when I'm writing a piece, in my mind, what's happening is I'm trying to see what questions I would have as an uninitiated reader if I was going through this piece or going through this story. And I'm trying to answer all those questions or preempt all those questions before a reader has a chance to say, hey, I don't know what that means. I'm going to open another tab and Google this thing. So the approach that we've always taken is give the reader the whole story, try to, um, try to close any open loops that may appear in the mind of a reader when they're going through it. So uh, with regards to all the content around India Stack or UPI or Oaken, all these amazing things that um, that, that have been the product of public and private partnerships in India. Uh, it was just a matter of uh, creating almost a single piece of content that could do the job of serving as a missionary across the internet. So um, what we identified at the time was all of this amazing, or this, this, this entire story of the Aadhaar or UPI or India Stack more broadly that had been taking place in India over the last 10 years. And you could easily make the case that it's probably one of the most important technical uh, technological breakthroughs anywhere in the world and for some reason it hadn't really um, uh, translated to a global understanding or appreciation of india's efforts and we chalked that down to a lack of uh, good content around it or a lack of a singular piece of content that could just drive home what was happening here so um, it's 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 a it's a thesis that strings through all the topics we write about it's hey this is one thing you should read to understand everything you need about this topic. And that's the sort of philosophy that uh, we try to incorporate in everything we put out. Yeah. In my upcoming book, there's a chapter on the newsletter economy. You know, look at you know, people like Ben Thompson, who've done this in the US. Uh, he's uh, Packy McCormick. Uh, he's starting to do that, unpack uh, the newsletter economy space. Now there's a venture capital fund associated with it as well. So who are the people who've influenced your writing? And uh, most broadly, who are the people who've helped you think through the newsletter economy, the business model, the commerce aspect of it? Sure. So um, you rightly mentioned Packy McCormick at Not Boring. Um, He's, he's setting the standard. I think it's fair to say it's him and uh, Mario Gabriel from The, the Generalist, uh, both of whom write about the tech ecosystem, primarily in the US, but glo uh, globally as well. Um, and they've taken very different models uh, in terms of monetizing their work. So whereby uh, Paki has early on leveraged advertising within each newsletter issue to um, drive the engine of his, of his actual business. Uh, Mario set up, a uh, sort of premium community 
where you could subscribe to be part of this elite group of, of interesting people or smart people uh, that could yield you your next business partner, your next venture, your next investor, et cetera, et cetera. So um, both, of, both of them, I really play, pay close attention to in terms of monetizing the newsletter, as well as um, just the quality of content they put out. Um, the fact that Packy puts out, or at least in the last uh, year and a half, put out two of these a week, it like physically blows my mind because I cannot do that. Um, and I don't know how you can squeeze out that much good work in that short period of time. But um, uh, aside from them too, um, I, I love Morgan Housel. He has just such a, yeah. uh, such a unique flair for capturing the uh, mundane uh, with regards to market movements and presenting it from the lens of Money, yeah. market psychology. Um, so he's some, some, someone I pay, or at least I read a lot of his work. Uh, Paulina Marinova, she also quit her job at Fortune, I believe, to set up a newsletter called The Profile, where literally she just profile, does these amazing in-depth profiles of interesting people uh, all around the world. So um, I'm constantly fascinated and just have so much respect uh, for the, 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 the people who uh, quit their jobs and taken a chance and actually made it happen. Um, so at least from a writing perspective, those, those are the folks I, I pay uh, real close attention to. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an ever growing space. The business models are evolving. Um, things are changing. What started off in the beginning was newsletters being started on Substack, uh, on Ghost and so on and so forth. There were subscriptions, there were advertisement advertisements, there were VC funds being built off of newsletters, but fundamentally it's about community building. You can do that in any way and monetize it through lots of ways. So what might the tiger feathers community look like what do you have a flavor of that uh, have you thought about it so um i would say it's definitely curious people like us uh who are interested in uh in learning about tech about business about areas of venture capital um i think what what we've realized or what at least what i've realized um, at least I've been in the crypto space for a few years now. And every time I go do, say, a, a one-on-one session on Bitcoin or crypto or Web3, it's amazing to me um, the fact that 100% of the people there, if you explain it the right way, really appreciate learning about new topics. Um, and I think that uh, it, 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 it's probably the main thing I've learned when I try to bring other people into the Web3 or crypto fold is that everyone loves learning. Uh, and it's just about being a good teacher or packaging um, material or content in the right way that respects your audience, respects their time. Mm -hmm. And uh, also you can make it uh, entertaining enough that they uh, realize why you're excited about that topic. And I find that 100% of people love learning. It's no sort of privileged group or you have to be born a certain way or in a certain field uh, for you to be a learner. Uh, I think it's just about um, how you're packaging certain content and what you're, what kind of story you're telling. So that's the main thing I've learned. So I think that um, the content we put out, uh, I would still say, I would, with a clear conscience, say that I think we produce some of the best content on tech in India. Um, I think our audience does skew Indian, but because we've uh, touched on crypto and uh, India's public digital infrastructure um, efforts, uh, I think that's brought us a global audience. So um, if I had to segment it, it would probably be uh, founders, operators, and investors for the most part. 
Uh, but anyone just curious about learning new things, that's, I think, the, the direction we'll go in. Because um, when yeah. we started off, it wasn't like we said we'd restrict ourselves to just cover talking about this topic or this topic. It's, hey, what do we think is interesting? What do we think is cool? And uh, what do we think that we can tell in our uniquely weird um, sort of uh, curious way? So um, that's the community I think we're trying to reach out to. I think what's cool is we're starting to see some of those folks um, give us input on what kinds of topics they want to be covered. Uh, we're starting to hear back from uh, our audience about uh, getting investment opportunities into startups, um, uh, advisory opportunities. So uh, I think we're still in the very early days of that. And it's really exciting to me that uh, there's a two-way dialogue that we're starting to see emerge. And that to me is the clearest indication that this is moving from an audience to a community where uh, the Tiger Feathers brand or the Tiger Feathers content, it's just a lighthouse for like-minded people to gather around. And after that, hopefully we can just throw a party where uh, we don't have to steer the direction of conversation that's happening uh, on its own. And all the folks are just bounded by, uh, I suppose, what the Tiger Feathers brand stands for, which is curious tech business. And we like to learn. I suppose that's, that's probably how I would summarize it. It's fascinating. You can unbundle this into, say, a policy think tank, into a consulting company, into... Uh, a community that just meets and learns new things and also a, a fund in addition to being a publishing house. So lots to unpack, lots to explore there. I was uh, fascinated by your last piece on careers. And since Network Capital is all about careers and ed tech and learning, I thought it'll be interesting for you to describe the passion economy, the creator economy, the way you see it. So, so to me, the, the creator economy is just a symptom of the fractionalization of media. Um, I think many, it, again, it's, not, it's, not, it's hardly an original statement to say that every company is a media company. But the fact is that as soon as any, kinds of, as any, any kind of business, a commercial interaction or any kind of uh, content, once you reduce it to a screen, whether that's a laptop screen or a phone, essentially you're placing it at par with everything else that's on your screen. Um, so at least what that's meant in practice in the last 10 years is that people armed with a phone or armed with a laptop, um, enabled by these new tools uh, like YouTube, Spotify, Substack, uh, whatever, uh, suddenly find that they excel at grabbing people's attention much better than any sort of multi uh, sort of uh, hundred person institution can do uh, because fundamentally people relate to people and people can communicate with people much better than any institution trying to ape, uh, uh, ape how people would actually communicate, which is what brands tend to do online. So to me, one, it starts with the fact that people are much better at capturing attention of people than institutions could be. Um, I think uh, the fact that people can do that with uh, a much smaller budget, you look at the likes of, say, the average YouTuber uh, who can create content with just a phone, turning it on themselves, your Casey Neistat uh, and the like, um, who have excelled at uh, turning a bare bones media operation into a complete global media brand. Um, yep. I think one, it starts with individuals being able to capture attention uh, better than institutions. And two is uh, you have this range of businesses and entrepreneurs that are coming to use software 
to increase the leverage that these, in, these individuals have on the internet, whether that's to capture more attention or whether that's to turn that attention into advertising or, or turn that attention into dollars in whatever form that may be, uh, whether that's selling merchandise, whether that's selling advertising, whatever the case may be. But it's just, uh, you, it's, it's about the, the shifting of influence from institutions to individuals and what individuals can do with that influence. That's, that's at least to me what the creator economy is. Uh, and it's a defining characteristic of the 21st century, a defining characteristic of millennials and Gen Zs. And it's something that can really unbundle work from employment, unbundle the education system. Um, have you experienced some of this unbundling in your own life where um, you, you're doing multiple things associated with, uh, you know, an idea? as opposed to having one job, one identity, one work life, whatever that means? So a hundred percent. And you alluded to the last piece I wrote, which was uh, about 3D careers or how I would call it. And um, I simplified it into um, two distinct tracks as you can choose today to build your career either in the conventional way where you're uh, in, a, in a linear fashion trying to build different positions and hierarchies for yourselves within an organization that obviously leads to incremental salaries, positions, titles, et cetera. And the other track you can take, um, and that's the sort of creator economy track, which is building an audience. And of course, hmm. there's lots of different ways and different sort of permutations you can define for yourself. But at least uh, based on my experience in the last two years, um, I, I think the, the easiest way to de define these, the different approaches you can take today, especially for millennials and Gen Zs, is you can choose to either earn by building an audience or earn by uh, earning a salary or setting up a business. Hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, as you rightly mentioned, you can do both at the same time. I think most sort of Gen Z uh, folks in, in, in the sort of Gen Z cohort understand this very intuitively by, by you know, being very online on Twitter, uh, constantly engaging with their heroes and people they admire, just being very authentic online um, and uh, being able to build an audience that they can translate to these uh, newfangled jobs like uh, chief meme officer or community manager, which are, you know, real jobs in the internet age that we could not have dreamed up five or 10 years ago. So um, at least when I think about it, um, and obviously you, you mentioned at the start, I left my job to see if we could turn Tiger Feathers or I could turn Tiger Feathers into a, my full-time job. Um, right now, we're not, oh, I'm not monetizing this, this effort, but I do hope that it eventually monetizes in some way, shape or form. So at least how I justify it to myself is right now I've shifted from the uh, original conventional track to the audience building track. And I'm hoping that they can intersect somewhere down the line. But um, in my mind, that's how I look at it. it this is not a career break, um, even though I'm not full-time in an office anywhere. And a lot of my time is spent on Twitter, learning, interacting with people, networking, whatever the case may be. Um, that's how I would describe it to myself, is I'm on this audience building creator economy track right now. And uh, let's see where that leads. 100%. Your passion should be your profession. And there are ways to do it. Uh, experimentation is one, ne networking is the other, learning and teaching is, uh, you know, a couple of other ways that work as well. But uh, I'm sure it was a bit scary. Do you want to talk us through your journey of uh, sending in the resignation email and uh, just like telling your folks about it? It was extremely scary. It was extremely scary. Uh, and I probably 
dilly-dallied on that for way longer than I would even care to admit. Um, so at least for me, when the decision to join Visa, which obviously, given the fact that I had been in the startup world for a few years, um, is uh, maybe a, a reverse approach than what some people take. Sure. And at the time, my logic was that um, one, Visa is very, at least maybe, I mean, this might be useful for your audience as well in terms of choosing a corporate gig versus a startup gig. Um, because at least in the last two years, the startup world has become even or appears more sexier than it ever has been, at least to um, Indian students. To that most are people, yeah. Sorry? Yeah. To most yeah, people. Look, yeah. Looking for a career. And uh, what, they don't, what they tell you is a startup career is high risk, high reward. But I would guarantee you that most people only hear the high reward part of it and don't even consider <laughs> high risk. That's how we are as humans. That's how our operating uh, system works. Um, so it, it is, uh, there is something to be said. At least now we're seeing a sort of different macro environment and uh, the startup ecosystem having to sort of rejig itself accordingly. Um, and that the, 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 in the last two years, I would say, and maybe the last five, the perceived risk of taking a startup job has appeared less than what it actually is. Um, and that's uh, a choice that you genuinely have to weigh up, uh, weigh up. The, the corporate gig, the sort of established company, there is a certain ease that comes with not having to worry about whether you'll exist six months from now or whether you will need to fundraise 12 months from now. Um, and that weighs in, in all or that sort of, the effects of that you see in all sorts of different ways. There's definitely less of a sense of urgency in day-to-day -day operations, which may be good for some people and bad for some people. Uh, because if you are an action-oriented people that wants to get stuff done right now, then um, a corporate gig may not be the choice for you. And may, you may find yourself more at ease in the fast-paced world of startups. Um, and that's how I am. Um, so the, the, the corporate world, I found a little too slow for my liking. Um, I found too many, um, too, you needed to jump through too many hoops and uh, tick too many boxes before you could actually get anything done. And what I realized was that Visa is a giant company, a public company that uh, is more concerned with risk management as it should be than it is about mm -hmm. taking maverick bets on the future because they're uh, to some extent assured in their position in the global commercial landscape. So um, I uh, found myself getting a little bored quite fast. Uh, and my gut told me very, uh, very early on that this is probably not going to be a long-term decision for me. Um, in the first few months at Visa, it was when our newsletter started to take off. And uh, if you're looking at a sort of user growth chart that was perhaps like this, uh, in the first few months at Visa, it started sort of twisting upwards. So uh, hmm. it was like, okay, maybe this stupid brand that we started as a side project actually has some semblance of product market fit. So there is an objective decision to be made here that this might be worth pushing all my chips in and seeing if this can be something real. So um, uh, it was, and I, I suppose many people in the creative economy have this sort of challenge where you're trying to balance a real full-time job with your actual passion alongside. Uh, and yeah. from just a time perspective, from an effort perspective, from just a mental drain perspective, it adds up. Um, and I certainly couldn't create at the pace um, that I would like. So uh, it was a very hard decision because you don't, one, you don't know whether this is the right decision and you can never know where it's the right decision. Um, what I will say is that uh, I don't think you can analyze the decision from the perspective of the result. 
because no one can tell how something will work out. As long as you know what inputs you're taking into um, taking into account or bringing into the equation uh, in factoring what your decision is, I think you have to live with that. Uh, so at least for me, it was okay. Uh, Tiger Feathers has some traction. Two, I really love and uh, I really love writing. Uh, three, I find this way more professionally challenging and rewarding because it's 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 me. Like uh, I put myself into each of my pieces. Um, and I don't necessarily think I was doing that uh, in my sort of corporate gig. So um, all those factors come into play where I said, okay, um, I don't know how this will work out, but I think this is at least the right decision for, the, for, for right now. Yeah, regret of inaction is often greater than the regret of uh, failure if and when that happens. But it doesn't seem like failure is on the cards, uh, Rahul, because things seem to be uh, moving forward at, uh, you know, at breakneck speed. Uh, tell me about one, why do you call it Tiger Feathers? And two, how do you really write? Because your pieces, again, are, uh, I wouldn't say they are rambling, but they are not what you call conventional uh, journal pieces or long-form pieces. So sure. it's like there's a very particular style, which uh, appeals, I think, to people like the former CTO of Coinbase to perhaps like a, like a Gen Z trying to make his or her first crypto investment. Uh, yes, um, that's that's fair to say. Um, so for starters, so the the name the name as well just took way too long to actually iron out. So when uh, Ariman and I start uh, thought about doing this, and we decided, okay, we're actually going to do this. We had a big Google Doc of all the the weird, strange names that came to our head, um, and we were like, okay, we want it to be sort of uh, an Indian theme, tech theme, digital theme. And we had a bunch of stupid names that made up a list of like 2025. And I literally Googled cool English words and found a word called horse feathers, which I don't know if you're aware of or not, but horse feathers is like this <laughs> old English term for an exclamation or a surprise. Uh, so we said, okay, horse feathers sounds interesting. What if we put an Indian spin on it, call it tiger feathers. So originally the brand had an exclamation point to it as well. But we found that way too complex, or not too complicated, but people kept leaving the exclamation point off when they were like reposting our stuff. Uh, and uh, it, it became a little untidy for the brand. So we just dropped the exclamation and it became Tiger Feathers, which looks quite clean. Um, and I think it's a unique and it's a fun name. So there's no real meaning behind it. This is just, a, okay, what's a silly name that also has an Indian connotation? And we sort of settled on uh, Tiger Feathers. Do you, well, I, I, I don't know if... Uh, that uh, is uh, a sophisticated enough answer, but that's at least how we came to this decision. Um, and from my writing, uh, from my writing practice or my process, uh, you're probably right. Like there, uh, there is a sense of rambling or a stream of consciousness to it. Um, at least for me, how it works is I have a notes folder in my computer that has a bunch. One it has uh, almost 20, 30 different topic ideas that anytime it pops into my head, I just keep adding to. Um, and two, what I do is um, if I have, uh, if I sort of iron out or decide I want to write about a particular topic, I just open a new notes folder. And anytime I find an article or a tweet or a podcast that fits into that topic, I just keep logging it into that folder. And when that folder looks like it's bulging full of content, I'm like, okay, this piece now needs to be written. So um, it's almost like, when the idea comes, I note it down and have it there. And I gather research and resource material, whether it's books I read, quotes from books. Uh, I keep sort of stripping out 
and just adding to this this folder and um when it looks like there's enough material for a piece it's like okay now it's time to sit down and see uh if i can draw a narrative thread through this because fundamentally to me long form content is just an exercise in information ordering that's basically it um and a lot of information useful information on the internet um or in the world to an extent is trapped in uh, inhospitable places so whether that's in uh, wikipedia pages whether that's in old academic papers whether that's in um, old books that no one has read um you find that uh, some of the i guess the secrets of the world and some of the most interesting content and insights um out there are often sort of uh, held captive in these uh, inhospitable or inaccessible information sources and as a writer um who has i guess your natural curiosity for certain topics um i'm chasing down this stuff in any case like i'm uh, i love reading books in any case so um you often find that you find something interesting almost like a a piece of treasure that no one else has found before and now i can give it to my audience and people and it, the chances are they haven't heard of, heard of that before haven't come across that before so you're just picking out these big go these nuggets from all these different places uh primarily on the internet but of course offline in conversations um and you're trying to present it in a one in a logical way and two in an interesting way that has uh a clear sense of narrative through it and i think that's that's primarily the difference is uh if you under, i th i think it does come down to understanding people because you have to put yourself in the mind or in the shoes of your audience and how they're consuming this piece of content what questions pop into their head what doesn't make sense uh, what thing do you know that you've written about that your audience has no idea about and you need to explain a little further so um that's at least how i construct these pieces they are very long i'm working on shortening them uh, just primarily to be able to publish more often but fundamentally i think uh you can fight your natural instinct Uh, as long as you want but my default state is i would like to give my reader a complete piece of content that is a single piece of content that they can read that gives them what they need about this topic so um yeah, yeah. that's at least uh, my my uh, my process and how much time does it take you to write say a 10000 word article <laughs> it takes a long time man. like i uh i it uh the so the um the, the, i wrote a piece on nfts that's uh, about a couple months ago that's the longest piece i've written it's come clocks in around 20000 words i started writing that in december and uh, finished that in march um so it took a long time but in the middle i wrote two shorter pieces that i published that i that, that i published as well so i'm not sure uh, it takes me a while it takes me at least a month i would say to put together a 10000 word uh piece and uh, chances are that that piece has been binging around in my head for even longer than that month so hmm. um that that's at least how how it, what it comes down to me it's it's usually one part is the thinking one part is the research and the actual writing comes out it's almost the easiest part of the entire process yeah who's your first reader and who's your strongest critic um so i would say my partner ariman he uh, i i trust his judgment wholeheartedly and he's um again like a a nerd like me we uh, he's he's a a voracious reader we both been since since we were we were kids so i would send all i sent the, the people i send all my pieces to is one to him uh and two to my dad who tells me when uh it's quite honest about when it's boring when uh, it looks like i'm smoking my own supply 
uh, and my mom is very kind enough to uh, go through it for typos. So uh, they're the three people that generally, uh, who don't really have a choice, who will have to read it. But um, I have a bunch of friends uh, and, and people whose opinion I respect in the, in the startup ecosystem that I uh, get opinions on before I put it out. Sajid Pai is um, another one who is uh, a VC at Bloom, an amazing writer himself. Um, and I tend to bother him quite a bit when uh, I'm putting out a piece. So uh, it's all of those people. And, and to me, it's, a, it's almost, I feel really bad asking people to give advice because, or feedback it's because these pieces are so long and I know it takes so much of people's time. So uh, I, I, I'm aware that uh, it can be a burden and can be a lot to ask. So um, if anyone is actually listening to this and thinking of starting like a writer collective or a sort of writer support group. It's, it's been an idea that's been on my head that you want to uh, work through that. Uh, uh, please feel free to reach out. Definitely. We'll add you to a writer's collective or MC. A lot okay. of people would be happy to give you uh, feedback. And your strongest critic, like who, who gives you constructive feedback uh, or who criticizes your work, if anybody? So I would say Ariman on, on that perspective because we can be quite honest with each other. And I would much rather... Um, have honest feedback then someone tell me my work is good and then when I actually publish it it's crickets and that's I find the the lack of response way more unnerving than a bad response because um, I find that that's the surest sign that people didn't actually jive with your work um, because if someone comes back with thoughtful criticisms or thoughtful rebuttals or a completely different way of thinking about it as people did with the 3D careers piece um, that to me is like, okay, at least people think this content is worthy of consuming, even for the perspective of debate. Um, and that's a productive outcome in my book. Uh, an unproductive outcome is nothing. No response, no feedback, uh, yeah. no thoughts. And uh, that's way more frustrating than getting people coming at it with a, a, a well-intentioned critiques or well-intentioned criticism. I'm all for that. And uh, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. What's fascinating to me about your journey is that uh, I think you grew up largely in India, right? Um, I grew up largely in India. I had a five-year stint in the UK, one of which was uh, uh, I did a one-year postgrad degree and then four years of work at KPMG in London and then uh, took the decision to move back. To move back, yeah. And I, I did spend um, a, uh, six months in Bangalore as well, but yeah, otherwise in India. That... Uh, what, what surprised me a bit, and you can comment on it, is that most people in India don't really learn to write when they're in school or college. Basically, you're 21, 22, and you've never written anything. You've taken exams, you've done a whole bunch of things. Um, so I just feel that you perhaps had a different kind of a schooling experience or perhaps some experience in your childhood uh, or adulthood shaped you the way you are. Because on Network Capital, I'm just surprised to see that there are so many people with so many great ideas, but they can, they really struggle to put them out there because they've never learned to write. Um, thoughts? Uh, that's actually a, a really good point. And I've spent some time thinking about that as well. So one, I don't really think that, um, of course, uh, obviously, lucky enough to have good schooling, I suppose. But um, fundamentally, I think it comes down to uh, being a reader, especially in, in your childhood. I think the, the sh at least I found that um, it's very difficult to be a good writer unless you're also a good reader. 
Um, yeah. And um, fundamentally, I think it comes down, or at least the people that I really admire um, who are writers, uh, I think almost across the board, you found that they were book readers as kids or read a ton of books in their uh, early teenage years. Um, and that's how they have a natural idea for what sounds good or what looks good. I think it's, it's an old uh, Ira Glass quote is um, that if um, for anyone that's trying to go into a creative field um, and you haven't created before, you've just consumed, your, uh, the, the sort of guiding light that you have is that you know what's good because you've been uh, a sort of uh, taste maker to such a large extent or rather taste taker to such a large extent um, right. you know what sounds good whether that's producing music or writing or producing film um, if you're genuinely passionate about this craft uh, and you uh, watched a bunch of films or read a bunch of books or read a bunch of uh, amazing bloggers then you at least know what looks good to you so when in the act of production you're staring back at something that doesn't look good to you there's no chance that that'll look good to someone else so um, mm. the, the the first advice if I would have, have it for anyone who wants to write is one you have to read. Um, and naturally, at least I've seen it in lots of my friends as well, um, who weren't readers as kids, who now are making an effort to read. You can really tell the difference in their writing as well. Um, and you correctly pointed out that uh, the ability to write has so many, um, has so many positive returns to you regardless of what field you're in. Because to me, writing is just thinking. Uh, and if you can write clearly, that means you can think clearly. At least for, for me, when I find that I'm writing these long form pieces, the biggest realization is I don't know what the hell I'm actually talking about till I actually get into um, the writing process. It's like, okay, I know very little about this idea that I thought I had a very clear grasp on, or at least I know very clearly the holes in my thinking for this and where I need to plug them in. Um, and in my experience, I found that even looking back to my college years or my early years of my career, um, all across the board, very consistently, I found that I was reducing my output or trying my very best in any kind of task to reduce my output to uh, or reduce my deliverable to a written output. Because I found that, mm. at least for me, that was level, leveling the playing field or giving myself an advantage, to be quite honest. Um, so whether that's what uh, that's when it came down to, hey, uh, let's create a business plan for how this product should look. Or we're pivoting into a new business. What should we do? How should we analyze it? Or um, you need to come up with uh, a, a sort of output for uh, why we should build out this capability in our consult consulting practice. All of those things, I was like, okay, I can do those things. Just let me write it out. Let me be, let the final deliverable be a written piece of output because that's where I know I can excel. And when we started Tiger Feathers and sort of had a year under our belt and was at Visa as well for a few months, I was like, why the hell am I running away from what I am quite confident now is my edge in the sort of broader professional domain. Uh, I know I like to write. I know I think now that I'm at least uh, better than the average writer. Um, and it makes no sense for me not to double down on my competitive advantage. Uh, so that's sort of fed into my decision-making at least as well. It's like um, uh, you, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough over sorry, eight years of a professional, eight, nine years of professional life to now at least have this nugget of insight that, hey, this is a thing I like to do and I know I can do well that the world seems to be appreciating also, like what other indication do I need that this is what I should be uh, taking seriously. So um, yeah, that, that's one I do think and uh, that 
uh, writing is almost a superpower. Many people, many better writers than me online uh, have espoused this, like David Perel, for example, who uh, I don't know if you're aware, but he's the, the writing guy on Twitter, set up a writing school. Um, and he sort of unlocked this, this insight online about the magic of writing and creating content on the internet. So um, I've certainly found it to be uh, immensely rewarding. Um, I found it uh, that there's two sort of insights that Ariman and I always bounce off of. It's uh, one is uh, if you describe the problem well enough, people will assume you have the solution. And two is uh, writing online or publishing online is a way for people to have a conversation with you without taking up your time. So at least for your mission and, and uh, what you're trying to do is uh, it's a sort of network networking accelerant, certainly, but it's also a way to build expertise and also learn alongside. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I think about that. That's fascinating. Um, I, re I really love the way you sort of found your career product market fit. Uh, it's a concept one of our community members started uh, making uh, popular in his podcast. So I just want to conclude by asking that, um, you know, if you were to be wildly successful as a brand, as a company, what would the world look like 10 years from now, the Tiger Feathers world? Uh, you know, I've never, I've, I've, uh, I've stopped planning ahead in many respects. Um, I think the- I'm asking you to visualize, just imagine. Oh, sure, 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 no sure. holds barred, yeah. Sure, sure. And I, I don't know if this is a cop-out, but when people have asked a similar question to me, what I often say is I really don't know what the destination looks like, but I know I'm quite certain of what the direction is. So uh, hmm. it's, it's uh, um, I haven't even given myself the luxury of thinking that far because I'm constantly, um, I'm constantly challenging myself whether I can actually do this because Okay, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll give you an actual answer. So um, one is say, I, I, I operate on the genuine thesis that every company is a media company. And mm -hmm. if Tiger Feathers, and obviously if, if I'm on this path, I would hope that Tiger Feathers is a successful media company, which means that we are a trusted brand when it comes to consumers in India uh, learning about any topic, whatever the case may be. I think obviously the impact of software and technology will continue to increase in the years that follow. Uh, and I would hope that people turn to Tiger Feathers as their sort of first intellectual starting point to understanding this new world. I suppose that's uh, at the bare minimum what I would hope for Tiger Feathers in terms of monetizing. I don't know what that path is. Um, and there's every likelihood that the path to monetization is indirect where this leads me to my next opportunity or uh, a sort of monetizable opportunity. Um, that's very possible. And uh, it would be disappointing, but uh, it's, it's certainly one of the potential realities that, um, that, that could occur. So I don't know if that's a cop-out answer, but uh, I just haven't given myself the luxury of thinking that far ahead because I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, uh, sort of, I subscribe to the church of compounding. And I know that I'm very <laughs> early on in my compounding journey but uh, I'm excited by the possibility or I'm excited by um, what happens when you add two more years to this. Uh, that's what excites me the most. It's, it's seeing this compound and seeing what happens with each month, with each year, um, uh, what this becomes. That's, that, that's as far as yeah. I've gone. Well, cheers to compounding and cheers to writing more. You've clearly, you're a great example of the unbundling of work from employment, of the passion economy, of really, uh, building a one-person or two-person media company that becomes a venture capital fund, perhaps a policy, think tank, lots of directions to take. 
Um, we look forward to having you back for the Web3 Fellowship and perhaps we should put you in front of our school students as well. Uh, they can learn to write and think. Rahul, um, keep doing what you're doing. It's a very interesting part of uh, you know, our careers that you know, both of us are in. Uh, but it's also um, unnerving, exciting, energizing, um, all of these emotions combined. And I think more people should experience this, don't you think? I completely agree. And uh, I think that's the, the biggest change from uh, full-time jobs. This is, uh, I wake up every day. I'm like, okay, all I have to do today is either write or read. Like, I mean, that's, it's, it's uh, what more could I ask for, for right now? So um, yeah. I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, again, let's, we, no one knows how things will play out, but uh, I'm excited that this is what I'm working on right now. And thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and looking forward to seeing the fun stuff that comes out of Network Capital, and of course the um, uh, the exciting session with the students later later this month. So thank you, thank yeah. you.